This is OBS Radio, a service of OBS International, a division of Greater Works Business Services. Now what I want you to do with this is to write down scripture references up the top that we're going to read here in just a minute. So write down John chapter 8 verse 44. John chapter 8 verse 44. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. And we pray now for the power of the Holy Ghost to help us preach the word of God. And I pray, Lord, do great and mighty things in our congregation and in the generation to come until Jesus comes. Lord, those that are lost in this building today, I pray that they would be saved, that they'd repent of their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be born again of the Spirit of God. And I pray, God, today that our minds and our hearts would be renewed by the truth of the Word of God. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified and honored in this service. Lord, we've come to worship you. And we thank you today that we know you, that we know the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus said, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was speaking here to this lost religious crowd, these very influential people of the government and the nation of Israel. Even though they were under a Roman rule, they were very influential to Herod and Pilate and those that are in government. And he said to these very religious elite people, these, these uh, intellectual elite people, he said to them these words, Ye are of your father the devil. And he said, Because you're of your father the devil, you will, the lust of your father you will do. That's a very important statement. The lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer, speaking of Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. There isn't any truth in the devil, folks. There's none. Not 20%, not 10%, not 30%. There is 0% truth in Satan's work in your life and in this world. He has no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. And that tells us that behind the lies of this world and the deceptions of this world, Satan is behind them. The Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against uh, the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There, is un- there, is, there are invisible forces this morning that are at work in this nation that are at work in your family, in your marriage, to try to destroy it. And the weapons that they use are lies. Now, I want to preach this morning on seven satanic lies that are, is destroying America. And if you want to turn with me, write down Second Timothy. And if you'd like to turn there, you're welcome. We're going to look at seven or eight passages of Scripture before we get going. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away." Now, there's not a more descriptive passage in the Bible than that passage there of America today. I mean, tell you what, I mean, lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, 
disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, kill their own babies, false accusers, incontinent, that means they don't have any self-control at all, they're fierce and despisers of those that are good, and so forth, traitors, country full of traitors right now. But anyway, go to Second uh, Timothy chapter four, verse number First uh, uh, Timothy chapter four and verse number one. First Timothy four one. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, and when they depart from the faith, and by the way, departing from the faith is when you leave the authorized version Bible. Two books that say two different things are not the same and cannot be the same. One of them's not true. And departing from the faith, and we've seen that in our generation, faith comes by hearing, hearing comes by the Word of God. If you don't have the Word of God, if you've left the Word of God, you've departed from the faith. It says, giving heed to something, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The devils have doctrines, and they have a false spirit. It's called a seducing spirit. It will lure you in and sweep you in. And, and suck you under if you're not careful. If you want to go to Second uh, Timothy, well, let's go to um, let's go to Second Corinthians right now. I just want to get a few more passages of scripture to lay the groundwork for this subject because, and it's all the way from Genesis chapter three where Satan lied to Eve. <clears throat> but the fact that we're dealing with spiritual forces that lie and that lies destroy people. Second Corinthians. Chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. The Bible said, having renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. That's in the Christian ministry, we are to renounce the hidden things of dishonesty. You know, as a Christian, you don't have nothing to hide about your faith. It's not some secret organization. Amen. The light of the world. We're to preach the Word of God. We don't have some secret deal trying to slick people in, make them think they're some part of a seclusive, exclusive club. What we've got, God has for everybody, and we're to preach it wide open and wide, right out into the light. We're to renounce the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God. How? Deceitfully. But by manifestation of the what? The truth. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience. Where? In the sight of God. You walk in the sight of God, you're not going to have to worry about what people think, all right? Verse number 3, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And by the way, the gospel is being hid from people. And the Bible says, if it's hid, it's hid to them that are lost. In verse 4, watch this verse. In whom the God, little g, of this world, this world does have a God, and his name is Satan. In whom the God of this world, he's done something, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Now, I want to say something to you this morning. If you happen to be here and you're not saved, I want you to know we love you and God loves you. But if you're not saved, there's a reason. Nobody would willfully walk off into the, the, the depths of hell unless he's been blinded by something. And the Bible is very clear. Now, God's, this is God's Word. This is not a serious robot catalog and it's not a, a high school textbook. This is the Word of God. God says that if you're not saved, it's because Satan has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. Now, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's find out a little bit more about how Satan operates. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
It's an amazing thing to me that this world is interested in the occult. They're interested in devils. They're interested in uh, spiritism and all kinds of things. But they won't go to the Bible to find out what they're really dealing with and find out the truth about it. When you get into verse 13 of chapter 11, it says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. The Bible says that Satan's preachers and Satan's ministers are so deceptive that they can transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. Look at verse 14. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. I have heard, I have had people say, I saw an angel all bright and shining there in my bedroom one night. I know it was Jesus. I'm sorry, it wasn't Jesus. He's at the right hand of the Father. When he comes back, you're going to know it and everybody else will too. What, so you watch out about these angels of light. The Bible tells you that. Verse 15, now watch this. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, Satan's ministers, and buddy, he's got lots of them, also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. There are several other passages of Scripture. You might want to write down Second Peter chapter 2. That whole chapter is about wolves and sheep's clothing. It's about false prophets and those who will lead you astray. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 through 12. Have you ever wondered why so many Americans vote for candidates and support viewpoints that are diametrically opposed to the clear teaching of the Bible? Have you ever wondered that? You ever wondered, I, mean, I mean, why in the world are so many Americans and church-going Americans... Support candidates and viewpoints that are diametrically opposed to the Bible. And you ought to think that through for just a little bit. What has happened, and here's what I'm going to tell you. There has been, in our nation's history, seven satanic lies that have converted the American people away from the Scriptures, while at the same time allowing them to hold to some type of a tenet of being a Christian or part of the Christian faith. Let me give you an example. We have political parties in America that uh, in their lit- literally wrote into their party platform that abortion and the killing of innocent babies is fine and that they support it and that they intend with all their might and all their power to enforce it and to make it a part of the American landscape, landscape and have done so for many years now. One would think that the murder of a baby would be a clear-cut issue. And it is a clear-cut issue. It's murder. Any way you put it, it's murder. How is it that church people think that it's okay? Or even have a neutral position. I, I don't have a position one way or the other. Or silent about it. How can someone who professes to be a Christian vote for and support the Bible says, uh, and I want to give good credit to Brother Brandon McIntosh for putting that article in the paper. Because he spoke about ministers and preachers who are saying nothing and who won't take a stand. How is it someone who professes to be a Christian can vote for, support a candidate or a party who by their vote and authority pull the lever to kill hundreds of thousands and millions of babies? I'm going to tell you straight up. You walk into a polling booth and you mark your mark by a candidate and a party that supports that. You are guilty before Almighty God of the blood of that baby and the blood of millions of babies because they could not do it and would not do it had you not given them your support. And I'm telling you something. God is not neutral about this thing. 
In fact, God says that He's going to bring His wrath down upon those who shed innocent blood. And let me tell you something. If this nation gets a communist for its president, it will be the judgment of God on this nation for sins and crimes like this. How is it that sodomy has come to be accepted or tolerated in the light of God's holy word when God says it's an abomination? And churches are silent, preachers are silent, denominations debating whether they ought to ordain queers or not. How is it that people who claim to be Christians can get the mindset that something like this is all right? What about pornography described as free speech? People want to get rid of the Second Amendment where people can't own guns to defend themselves. Buddy, I'm going to tell you something. You better hang on to your gun with all you got because you're going to need it because this country is going to go into anarchy someday. Let me tell you something else and get this off my chest while I'm on it. Somebody stole the, my sign out of my yard. Up in Springfield, and Dennis, you confirm this, you tell me whether I'm telling the truth or not. There are people afraid to have McCain stickers on their cars or in their windows because the Obamaites are busting out the windows, keying the vehicles, going through parking lots, taking their keys, and ripping up the paint on the side of cars, and it's going on all over this country. Now, you listen to me real good. That's Nazism, brown shirt thugs. And they are not going to intimidate this preacher. They are not going to stop us. And don't you let anybody tell you and take away your free speech. And what it is, you just read it while ago in the Bible. They despise those that try to stand up for what's right. And I'm telling you this. I, for one, am not going to stand for a bunch of Nazi thugs. They went down to Branson and broke into the Republican headquarters, destroyed things, and stole all the stuff out of there. You, don't not, you do not hear of conservatives doing such an act as that. And all across this country, they're stealing signs, keying cars, busting out glass, intimidating people. There are cities in the northwest in Oregon and Washington that you'll get beat up. You'll get stopped in the traffic and beat up if you don't have the right kind of bumper sticker on. I'm going to tell you something. That's Nazism. That's communism. You mark it down in your book. We're on the fight of our life. Buddy, I'm going to tell you something. They ain't met the fight yet. I'm just telling you right now, I'm not backing up an inch. No way, no how. I'm telling you, listen, the time has come to quit this namby-pamby, pink tea and lemonade and scratch your back, pass the orphan plate religion, and get over with it. They're not taking our guns. Oh, Bozo said, what do Bozo say? Oh, them people that cling to their religion and guns. You got it, buddy. You got it. You know, it's funny. He kind of wants a few guys hanging around him with guns on. You know, if I really believe that I want to get rid of guns, I didn't want to get away with the Second Amendment and not have the guns. I just say, now, boys, listen, get, get all the guys with guns around me away. We, we don't want guns. Hypocrite. Hypocrite. He likes guns in his hands, in his power. You say, what was the answer? How come this country's got to such a filthy, stinking, low-down way? The answer is that this country has been evangelized and converted by the satanic preachers of our era. Lies in the form of philosophies about life. Lies that challenge the core principles of biblical truth and doctrine. Lies that redefine words and terms. Lies that convert people's thinking. Lies so brazen that one marvels at the rate and the volume of people that are swept into the mire of their deception. Yet there is a clear answer and a reason that peoples, cultures, and nations, and yes, even sons and daughters of Christian people in supposedly Bible-believing church are pulled into the pit of their lives and converted. I can tell you that I know of families 
where children were kind of basically, you know, they grew up in a home where they, they were basically American, patriotic, and knew what right and wrong. But they let their kids go off up here to SMS and Drury College and Bible colleges, and they come home and they don't believe nothing anymore, and they've been converted. The answer, the biblical doctrine, you say, Reggie, why is it? Why is it? How did it get that way? Now, before I get into these seven lines, I want to tell you something that has been attacked to the core. And that is the biblical doctrine and truth of the total and absolute depravity of man. I want to say if there's anything that needs to be preached in our pulpits, it's the depravity and the wickedness and the sinfulness of mankind. This Bible declares that men are all sinners. Man, all men are absolutely and totally wicked and sinful at enmity against God before their conversion. And they're deserving of God's judgment. And they're hopeless and helpless to save themselves apart from divine intervention of the cross. And in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5, the Bible said, The heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Let me tell you something. You're not a good old boy. You're not a good girl. God says you're a wicked sinner. You're an enmity against God unless you repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to bust hell wide open under the judgment hand of Almighty God. People don't believe in the depravity of man anymore, even in our churches. they got a bunch of mom and daddies running around think their kids got halos on and wings on when they got horns on them. Your kids, you try to teach your kids that because they, I've watched this in this church. I've watched it over the years. Mom and dads take up for their kids when they know their kids are in the wrong. Mom and dads be quite silent when they know their kids are in the wrong. You know what your problem is? You think your kids better than, you think your kids better than what God's Word says it is. The Bible says in Psalms 51, 5, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. In 58, verse 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. That means your baby quicker than born the little liar. You just well get honest with God's Word about it. Because they're your kid doesn't make them some kind of angel. They need to get saved just like anybody else does. Wicked. When are we going to get agree with God about this thing? That we are wicked before Almighty God. There's not a person in this auditorium today, including this man behind the pulpit. I'm with the Apostle Paul. I am chiefest of sinners. I am what I am by the grace of God. We're not good by nature. We're sinners by nature. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6. But we all, as an unclean thing, and all of our, all of our righteousnesses, plural, are as filthy rags. And we as a leaf, that we do fade as a leaf. God says the best day you've ever had is like filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. The reason we don't understand the depravity of man is because we've lost sight of a holy God. A holy, holy, holy God whom sin cannot enter into His presence this morning. Isaiah 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We and I do not measure up to the measurement of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 9, that we're all under sin. Romans 3, 10, there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, 12, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. I'm talking about the doctrine of total depravity. You say, Reggie, what is the summary of that doctrine? It is that we are sinful, wicked, vile, unclean, and unholy. That we have an inward nature of sin that without restraint of the law, we will do the worst. That's exactly right. Guarantee you. 
Some of you in here that wasn't a highway patrolman out there, you'd run 110, 120, you'd run 90, 80, you'd run over people, run them off the road. Amen. Wasn't for, wasn't for the fear of God, fear of judgment, you'd lie like a dog more than you do. I'm talking about this. That without inner regeneration of the new birth of Christ, the Spirit of God through faith in Christ, we are doomed and damned to a devil's hell in eternal separation from God. That's what I'm talking about. Total depravity. There is no spark of goodness within us. And this is the core of all the satanic lies. Because you know what Satan told Eve in the garden? You shall not die. You know what Satan told Eve? God's a liar. You're not near as bad. God's a liar. And you know what he's telling you? You know what he's told millions of Americans? God's a liar. But the Bible said, let God be true and every man a liar. The doctrine of total depravity, and listen to me carefully. The doctrine of total depravity necessitates, absolutely requires divine intervention and divine power for a person to be saved. Total depravity says Reggie Kelly cannot ever be good enough. Can ever do things to merit the favor of God and the forgiveness of God. But I'm absolutely cut off from God and hopeless and helpless without divine intervention. And that divine intervention was the cross of Calvary. The blood of the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. Suffering on the cross, dying in your place. The wrath of God being poured out upon Him. And thereby you and I, having faith in Christ, can be forgiven and cleansed and regenerated. And pardoned from sin through Jesus Christ. It necessitates the cross of Calvary. It necessitates some substitute, a substitutionary death in your place. It necessitates a sacrifice. It necessitates a Savior. The innocent dying for the guilty. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for us in our place. It necessitates the blood of Jesus Christ. It requires the doctrine of total depravity. Necessitates not only the cross... But it necessitates the mercy and the grace of God. For I cannot be saved apart from God's mercy and apart from God's grace. You see, that means not of works, not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He has saved us. Now, you say, Reggie, that's old-time Bible preaching. Yes, it is, and I'm going to try to do a lot more, but let me tell you something. Because we've gotten away from this, and because we've let our our children go to these stinking government schools, they have pumped our children full of the lies of the devil, and they no longer believe they're lost, hell-bound, God-hating sinners. They they believe they get a better environment, or they get more help from the government. Things change around. If I can get more money, I really am good inside. And what they do is take away the need of the cross and the blood and the grace and the mercy of God. The doctrine of total depravity in the cross is offensive to mankind. Don't tell me I need the blood to save me from my sin. Don't tell me I need somebody to die in my place and I'm not good enough to somehow know to make it to heaven. Don't tell me there's a hope that I'm so wicked that I have to be by mercy redeemed. That's exactly what Cain and Abel situation was. Cain brought the work of his hands and he got mad. He did, he has, Cain, the Cain attitude is the same attitude that the liberals have toward the church today. You mark down your word. They'll get rid of Christians, Bible-believing Christians, before they will Muslims in this country. Because the Muslims don't preach the cross, they preach works. 
They're more in tune with Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists than they are the cross of Calvary. Because the cross says it's mercy. The cross says it's only by grace that you can be saved. And through the death of another, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the cross strips you of all your righteousness. And strips you naked before God and says, I have no hope except through the cross of Calvary. The cross is offensive. The Bible teaches of the offense of the cross. They believe there's no need or no basis for the cross, you see, if there's no depravity of man. For if you and I are not wicked, lost, hell-bound sinners, hopeless of saving ourselves, then why did Jesus die, you understand? So Satan, in one swift cut, makes this move. If I can do away with the depravity of mankind in the minds of mankind, then they will logically come to the conclusion they have no need of a cross. Because if I'm not depraved, if I'm not a sinner, if I'm not helpless, then I don't need somebody dying in my place. But friends, you do. Man resents the cross. Man rejects the cross. Man rebels against the cross. And yet this is God's only remedy and only means of salvation, the cross of Calvary. Then as Satan did in Eden with Eve, he injects the poison of a lie to replace God's truth. Man, because of his depravity, because of his enmity toward God, entertains these lies that we're going to look at. Then he embraces those lies, and then he embodies those lies. And they literally become part of who he is, because Jesus said, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, before we start looking specifically at these seven satanic lies that are ruining America, I want to say a word about how they're proclamated. In other words, how did they get to where they're so heavily induced into the, inculcated into the hearts and minds of Americans? Just as Jesus Christ told the church to go into all the world and preach the gospel and to go all the world teaching all nations, what were we to teach them? We were to teach them the Word of God. If you'll ever read that Matthew command in Matthew 28, you'll find out he said, go into all the nations, teaching, then baptizing. He said, you educate the world to the truth of my word. Just as that is to be preached and taught in all nations, Satan imitates God's plan. And so he raises up his preachers, and he has them to proclaim their gospel, their story, their, their account of how man is to be redeemed and embedded. And these lies, listen to me, how, this is strictly how it is. These lies that you're going to look at here this morning are taught, preached, subtly coated in sugar, and couched in verbiage as to be accepted. They are proclaimed as truth, and they're like, and they fit. Now, watch this. You can take every one of these lies, and they will fit into the glove of the denial of the depravity of man like a hand. In other words, these lies fit the depraved heart heart of man. A man will gravitate to these lies because they justify and yoke up with and weld with what he wants to do in his sinful state anyway. So it makes it very attractive when they hear it. And when they hear that opposed to what? Well, I grew up in this church and all he can do is preach hellfire and brimstone. And they'll mock that. And they'll tell you, but listen to what? You need to get past that. We're in a more enlightened age now, they say. You say, where is it happening? It's happening in your schools. In your kindergartens, even. In your grade schools. In your high schools. In your colleges. In your universities. 
both secular and religious. I want to ask you fathers something this morning. Do you know, honestly, what your children are learning? Have you ever read the material that your children are learning? Have you ever went into the classroom and sat down and read what they're teaching them in social studies and in science? You know what's the problem with America? American fathers are going to work, and they feel like that if I go to work and I bring home the bacon, that I deserve to be able to sit down and watch the football game, and nobody bothers me. And I don't know what they're teaching my son and daughter, and I'll tell you further than that, Reggie, I don't care. And that's the attitude of the average American father. Take your book, you take your hand out here. The first lie that Satan perpetrated is evolution. Evolution was laid out in a methodical and teachable format by a man named Charles Darwin. It is a bold-faced lie. For Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. In Colossians 1-16, Jesus Christ, who is God, the Bible said all things were created by Him and for Him. Creation is diametrically opposed to evolution. You cannot have both. You know what's an amazing thing? You've got a bunch of Bible college professors, and I'll tell you, it would rock your boat to find out the Bible colleges that are teaching evolution. And they're teaching evolution in a form called this, theistic evolution. That means they're trying to yoke up God with evolution. And yet they deny the Bible while they say it. It is absolutely in it. And you know what's funny? True evolutionists are more have more integrity than theistic evolutionists. And the reason I say that, now I want to tell you something. Listen to me this morning. Some of you this morning, you say, I ain't interested in this. It don't make, yeah, it's going to affect you someday. You're going to stand before Almighty God. You may raise some kids someday. You better know what you believe and know why you believe what you believe. But theistic evolution teaches that there's a God that he really wasn't involved in this thing. And he is, it has no consequence in it. Because, man, really, he just kind of there. And he kind of pulled his hands off the scene. And we're just going through that space, just evolving along. Totally contrary to the Bible. Five times the Bible calls God the creator God. Over 60 times the word create, creation, and created is used in Scripture. Also the word creature. To be a creature, you have to be created. The very word creature comes from created. And it means that you are created or you cannot be a creature. Now listen to this verse. 1 Timothy 6.20 says, O Timothy. Paul told Timothy, closing out this book to Timothy as a young Christian Minister, oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. I wonder how many of you young people are going to keep that which is committed to your trust. I wonder how many of you young people are going to walk into a class someday and they told you to buy that textbook. You don't even know. You're like an ox being led to the slaughter. You buy the textbook. You walk in the class. You sit down there and open your heart's mouth like a Pied Piper. And that professor pumps that stuff down you. And if you don't have yourself anchored, if you don't keep that which is committed to your trust, you will be swept into that junk. Listen to what he said. Keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoiding profane and vain babblings. Now, you know what that means in Ozark Hillbilly language? Don't you go sit and listen to a teacher that's babbling about evolution that is vain, useless, and worthless. Don't let him corrupt your mind with it. And don't you let him do that to your kids or grandkids. Look what he says. And now watch it. Vain babbling and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Wow. Now, that's, I'm going to give the verse to you because you need to read that minute. First Timothy 6.20. He told Timothy, there are going to be these clowns 
who are going to Babylon about a bunch of vain junk and babblings that profane, profane means outside the Word of God. And he said that they're going to call it science, but he said it's falsely called science. It is not science. Evolution is not science. It is a religious theory based upon zero facts. Creates an evolution of diametrical poles. Both of them cannot be true. Romans 3, 4, let God be true, but every man a liar. No facts are out there to this day. To this day, there are no facts to prove evolution. And yet churches have swallowed it. And let me tell you something. It's important because if you ever accept evolution in any shade of its manifestations, you cannot believe this Bible. It's over. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. So when you accept it, you have turned away from the truth, and I promise you, darkness will fill your soul. In fact, facts and science proves to the contrary. They use terms like millions and billions of years. I like what Kim Ham says. Ask him if they were there. Were you there? Were you there? And if they know, then you have to accept your premise by faith. So you choose which one you want to choose. You either believe the Bible by faith, or you believe some liar by faith. And I'll tell you, God was there. Amen? God was there. But those who teach or accept revolution, evolution call God a liar. And yet, here's the amazing thing. Every public and government school, college, university, and most Bible colleges teaches it in some form. You know what's stupid? Now, we've had a Christian school here for 20-some years. A lot of families in this church homeschool. And I'm going to tell you something I don't regret. But I don't regret not one iota of the day that Karen and I made up our mind. We're not sending them over here across the street. I do not regret that. And I'll tell you what I'd rather. I'd rather them be considered dummies than to have their mind poisoned with that junk. Because I'm telling you, it starts in grade school and pumps its way through, and it's the way it is. And I'm telling you, our government's promoting it. You say, Reggie, what's the deal with it? Can I say to you that to teach it to a child is to teach a child that God's a liar. It is to cause a child to be offended. And the Bible said, whosoever offends one of these little ones, it's better for them to have a millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's not light talk, folks. God means what he says. Do not be involved in teaching other people to believe evolution. What is the fruit of evolution? No God equals no judgment. If there's no God in Genesis, there's no God in judgment in Revelation. If there's no God, then I have no accountability to God. If there's no God, then this Bible's a lie. If there's no God, there is no authority in their universe. Except who can climb to the top of the pole. If there's no God, there are no standards Latent evolutionism is what I think is the most dangerous. It lays inside us. We've been taught it. And we've let it sit there and become half of our mind. And the Bible said an un, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I'm going to suggest to you this morning this as we move quickly on. I was taught evolution right over here across the street. I was taught evolution at Drury. I was taught evolution at SMS. I was taught evolution when I went to see the Smithsonian on vacation. 
I was taught evolution every time I'm going to some kind of a government, scientific, museum, or anything of that nature. And I'm going to submit to you this morning, I'm going to challenge you right now to make a decision for Jesus Christ and for your future generations. That you are and will right now reject, all out, totally, absolutely reject any type of evolution. And escape from being a double-minded man and being unstable in all of your ways. And make it your purpose in life that I will never, and commit to Almighty God, I will not allow my children to be taught such a lie. Let me tell you what's happened in American churches. Your children come in 30 to 40 minutes of Bible class on a Sunday morning if they're fortunate. And then we send them to 40 hours of ungodly, anti-biblical teaching, and they grow up and don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ or the church, and we wonder why. And they don't carry biblical principles, in life, and we wonder why. Don't be fooled, folks. Listen. We need to understand that we have got to reject outright that which opposes the Bible. Let me tell you something. I guarantee you, now listen to me carefully. I didn't come here for your dollar bill this morning. If this book, I'm just made this way inside. If this book has got one lie in it, I'm out the door. If it's got one lie in it, I'm gone. I will not preach a faith that has even one lie in it. Because if it's got one lie, by somebody's definition, who's to say it doesn't have a dozen or a thousand lies in it? And so you need to come to that place in your heart this morning. Is this Bible the authorized version? By the way, that authorized the word authority. Is it the word of God or not? You know what I suggest to you? You get that question settled in your life forever. Let God be true and every man a liar. Now, let me tell you something. Brother back here told me his neighbor was laying on his uh, a little bed yesterday, and a gun fell over and the load gun and went off and killed him in his sleep. You know what that tells me again this Sunday? You don't know whether you're going to eat dinner or not. But I can tell you what this Bible says. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. You're going to die, and you're going to face God. Don't face God having believed, having called him a liar in your life that you evolved from some lower form of, uh, lower form of animals. Social Darwinism. You might want to write that down. Darwin's evolutionary theories moved away from science into the social studies. And that's where Satan sent, wanted to send it to. He moved it from the, it moved from the science field to the social field. Darwin's assumptions is this, that the world runs and operates on impersonal forces. In other words, God's not involved. So what is the result if you believe that this world is run by impersonal forces? You can ignore God. You can resent and oppose Christianity and its authority. And you can call Christ a liar. And you make yourself out to be an animal and not a human. And if you're an animal and not a human, then you have a right to act like an animal. And you can be expected to act no differently than animals. Second assumption is that society is moving upward from a bang and a mud piece uh, and a mud hole slime pit to a utopian future. We're evolving upward according to Darwinians, and they will have in the end man reigning without any need of God. Again, I'm telling you, evolution fits the depravity of man. He likes it. It sounds good to him because it gives him license to do everything he wants to do. 
The summary of Darwin evolution its practical effects are, number one, the embracement and the support of anti-biblical personal activity. Second, political candidates and parties who are aligned with evolution. Let me give you a practical illustration right now. Four times Barack Obama in, the, in Illinois' legislature voted against a law that would have prohibited killing an aborted baby that survived the abortion. In other words, here is a, here's a clinic, and this lady has had an abortion, and the baby comes out, and it is, it is alive. They tried to get a law passed that would require the doctors and attendants to give that baby medical care. And Barack Obama led the fight four times, defeating and voting down that, voted against saving. You know why he did that? Now, I'm not after him. You know, it's a shame that somebody didn't reach him with the gospel when he was a little boy. But he was educated in Satan's system to believe that a baby, if we evolved, there really is no God. You see, that's why Bozo up there at the church he went to can get up there and talk about black liberation theology. You know what he says? That we'll kill any God that doesn't support the blacks. You read his stuff. That's exactly what he says. We will not worship, serve. In fact, he said we will kill any God who is for white people. I got news for you. Jesus Christ is a Jew. He's neither white nor black. That kind of takes care of the real racist deal, don't it? But you see, so what I'm telling you is the Jesus they worship is not the Jesus of this Bible. All right? It's a concocted Jesus that you can still talk religious and get around people's rejection and their alarms and cautions and concerns because, oh, I pray to Jesus every night. That's why when he was asked about when life begins, that that was above his pay grade. Because he believes in evolution. And evolution says you can be an animal. And if it's an animal, then it's just a cat. Kill it, throw it in the pond. This stuff is serious, folks. Let me tell you, this Bible will teach you the sacredness of life. What you believe determines your behavior. What you believe does determine how you vote. What you believe does determine how you operate your business. It does determine whether you're faithful to your wife. It does determine whether you're faithful to your husband. It does determine whether you divorce. It does determine whether you fornicate. It does determine whether or not you have committed adultery. You see, what you really believe really does determine your behavior. And what you really don't believe doesn't matter. Evolution is a damnable lie out of hell, and it can be and ought to be and will be conquered by the truth. Number two, somebody tell me what time it is. Quarter to twelve. We're going to do three of them this morning. We're going to finish the rest of them out tonight. It'll be a two-part message. I was afraid of this. Number two, communism slash socialism. This was perpetrated by a man named Karl Marx. Now, let me say for those of you who won't be back tonight, every one of these men wrote a book that articulated and formulated and systemized their philosophy of life. Darwin wrote The Origin of Species. Karl Marx wrote Das Kapitel. By the way, let me, tell, let me give you how it's inculcated. I'll just give you one right here since we're going to split this up tomorrow morning and tonight. How many have ever seen the Civil War series? What's the guy's name? Rick Burns? Ken Burns. Ken Burns. Ken Burns is a very talented media person. 
But he very subtly put in the, the series, the Civil War series, he very subtly put in, you know how the, when it starts out, it'll tell you 1861 and 1862 and 1863, and it'll give you some things that happened during that time. And these people are sharp, and they know what media does. And when he brings in there the year that Das Kapital was wrote, which was during the Civil War, Ken Burns injects the statement, and in this year, Karl Marx wrote his, um, what does he call it, um, his masterpiece. That's the very words he used. And in that year, Karl Marx wrote his masterpiece, Das Kapital. What is Ken Burns telling you? There's a masterpiece written by Karl Marx. And man, you ought to read it. It is a masterpiece. A masterpiece that murdered over 100 million people? A masterpiece that destroyed freedom across the globe? A masterpiece that robbed people of their wealth and their possessions? We support a missionary in Romania, in this church, who's been at this church, whose grandfather, when the communists come in, stole his farm, killed his workhorses in front of his eyes. And he was, when he was here a few years ago, they were trying to get that land back that the communists stole from his grandfather 60, 70 some years ago. Communism, socialism, now you listen to me real good. We're on the brink of having a communist as president of this country. You say, oh, now, Reggie, it ain't that far. He may be socialistic, but he, let me tell you something. They're never communists till they get in power. They're socialists till they get in power. And this stuff about redistributing the wealth, they're not joking. What are the tenets of communism by Karl Marx? Here's the tenets. You can go find these yourself. Number one, the abolition of property and land rights to the individual. Communism says you don't have a right to own a house, a car, a farm, nothing. The state owns it all. And, buddy, if you think I'm lying, get you on an airplane and take your little trip to communist Russia. I have been there. And let me tell you what they'll do with folks like you. They'll move you off your farm, and they'll build high sky rises. Has that been done in America? Yeah, we've had socialist communists working for about 70, 80 years in this country who thought they had a real good idea they were going to take all the poor people and build housing projects for them. And you can ask my daddy. You can go up here and say, don't stick your head in the sand. Get out and check it out. They built those people, those high rises. They moved them in there. And in six months' time, they jerked the stools off the walls. They punched holes in the walls. I'm telling you, they were turned into drug and prostitute holes. And sane and decent people fled them and would not live in them. And you paid for it with your tax dollars because some socialist in our government system said, oh, we're going to move everybody into these nice high-rise apartments and get them out of those slums. Oh, if we could just change their environment, we'll make them so much better. Their first tenet is the abolition of property and land rights to individuals. The state owns everything. Land, homes, industry. Farms, technology, intellectual thought and invention, creativity and children. Do you ever wonder why the Rosenbergs sold out the, 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 the information of the atomic bomb to the Soviet spies back in the 50s? Anybody ever wonder why? Because the Soviets were too stupid to find out how to do it. They had to rob the stuff from us. 
And can I tell you something else? The Soviets have every technological military thing that they've ever had. They robbed from the Western powers. Because when you take God out of your society, you're left with darkness and you don't know. You can't invent nothing. And you don't have anybody wants to invent nothing because you ain't going to get paid for it. You open Russia and you invent a new potato peeler. Oh, you got a new potato peeler. State owns it. You don't get nothing for it. So why invent anything? Why try? Why plant any more than I can eat? Because the state gets it all. The communist prophet is a dirty word. Them stinking capitalists. Mm-hmm. Them corporate people. Heard any of that this year? Those mean, vicious corporations. Oh, if you was here the other night and heard the deal, and by the way, they not only own your land, they own your children. Because the second tenet is they don't believe in God. They're atheists. Now, there's an old saying, when you invite an atheist over to dinner, watch your forks and spoons. They'll be gone when he leaves. Because he didn't have any God to keep him from stealing. Who says it's wrong to take your forks and spoons? And that's why communism likes atheism, because that one of their tendencies is there's no God. So if there's no God, I'm not accountable. I can do what I want to, to whom I want to, how I want to, and it doesn't matter to anybody. And so they own your children. And if there's no God, then there's no nuclear family. And so the kids belong to the state. And so you send your kids over here. And by the way, we're gonna, don't miss tonight, because we're going to go down. You're going to find out tonight how all these satanic lies have tied together to make people who they are in our country. And so the state owns it. So atheism is the second thing. Heavy progressive graduated income tax was the third tenet Karl Marx wrote down. Hmm. Let's just think about the communist tenets that he wrote down. Let's think about how much we've got in America today. Abolition of property land rights. I think there's an issue on that, isn't there? Yeah. You bet there is. States come in and take your property without just compensation. It's in the Constitution. When I, you see that Keynesian, Keynesian economics down there, number six? You wait till we get there. You see how Keynesian economics dovetails with communism. It'll shock your socks. It'll make you wonder what's going on up here with this $700 million bailout. Third thing is heavy progressive graduated income tax. Number four, abolition of rights of inheritance. <coughs> you ever heard of a thing called death tax? Do you know how many farms, and before they passed that back in the 90s, did you know how many farms had to be sold because people could not pay the inheritance tax? Do you know how many houses had to be sold? Your mom and daddy passed away. They left you the house, but you didn't have money to pay. The, they hit you for 40% income inheritance tax, so you just had to sell the house pay the taxes. And it'll be back. Yeah, or worse. Number five, confiscation of all private property. Number six, centralization of all banking and credit. That's coming. Centralization of all means of communication and transportation. Free education for all children in government public schools. Isn't that one? You see the guy named Denver? Look at, look at number five, progressive education. Dewey? <clears throat> he's the one who, he's the one, he'll be the one who implements that aspect of communism in this, you'll, you'll hear it tonight. Number nine, violent revolution, overthrow of, of, of uh, free peoples if resisted. There was nobody in this world that's ever slaughtered as many people in violent revolutionary overthrow as the Communist Party. Number ten, promotion of class warfare to accomplish the goals. Hmm. 
restriction of free enterprise. You know what, Karl Marx? Now, some of you need to you know, get your seatbelt tight because an airplane's going to hit a bump here. All right? So get your seatbelt on. You know what Karl Marx cry? You know what their battle cry was? Who knows? Workers unite! Workers unite! That's Karl Marx's battle cry. I'll show you tonight in Keynesian economics. It happened in America. You know, there's a strange thing going on. There ain't no factories in Mountain Grove no more. Well, there ain't no factories in Mountain Grove. I bet there's not enough people who wants a job. But our unemployment's terrible. They ain't hard for factories in Ava no more, is there? One factory left. And uh, I, hear that, I hear they're going to, they're getting tried pretty hard. Their electric deals went up, what, so much over there. And I mean, you, in Lebanon, I mean, and we got all these horrible, mean corporate people taking their factories out of this country. We're going to bring jobs back to America. And when we bring them back, we're going to put our foot on the throat of those free enterprise capitalists. We're going to make them pay all this OSHA cost and all the bureaucratical cost. And we're going to make them pay them high union-scale laborers. And it's not a free enterprise. You pay what we tell you to pay. Besides that, you're not supposed to be making a profit. We're communists. Do you want to know why all the factories are gone? You want to really know why? Try starting one. Try creating anything in this area That'll create 12, 10 jobs, 5 jobs. Try it. You will come back to church in six months saying, it ain't worth it. I ain't doing it. What's that got to do with Christianity? Hmm. Because if you're communist, there is no God. And communists don't really look good to people preaching the Bible because the Bible's absolutely contradictory to it. And if you get people where you enslave them, and got them pressed down where they cannot be free to operate and create jobs and so forth like that, you'll just control those people and you've taken away people's freedom. That's what it's all about. What is the result of communism? Materialism. There's no spiritual need or realm. That's why vodka is so popular in Russia, by the way. They stay drunk all the time to keep them facing reality. Economic determination was one of his big themes. Each working according to his ability to give to each according to his need. Some of you don't know this, but communism was tried a long time ago in America. Was it Jamestown or which one was it? I remember. Anyway, it was one of those early little settlements, one of the first settlements in America. And you know what they said? We're all going to live together. And we're all going to get the same wages. And we're all going to do the same thing. And we're all going to share and share alike. And it's going to be the sweetest, most wonderful little utopia world you ever saw. And they did it. Not very long. They starved to death. You know why? Kenny? Oh, Kenny's got a big garden over there. He can plant, he, besides that, he's young and tough. He can plant enough for me and Karen and the kids. Besides that, I'm going down to the creek. Kenny, you just plant for me, buddy. Besides that, you're supposed to share it with me. Come wintertime, see us a little hen chicken story? You know, who will help me plant? 
I won't, I won't. Now I got mad at her at the end because she said, I'm going to eat the bread. So I go to Kenny's house. Kenny's kids over at Reggie, I ain't got enough to go. You should have planted your own garden. Well, Kenny, now this is a utopian society and a communist society. And everybody, well, you went off down to the creek. Well, you know what? Part of the human depravity means this. I hate to say this, folks, but we, know what? we are so depraved and so worthless that if we didn't have the motivation to have to eat, a lot of us wouldn't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if we thought the government was going to slide it under us, I mean, we'd cut a hole in the bottom of our door to let the government slide it in if we thought they'd do it. Yeah. And it didn't work. You know what they said? Next winter, everybody's on their own. If you don't plant your own garden, don't come over to my house to get it. You know what? There's so much to preach on this. We could, did you know, did you know that the Good Samaritan story in Luke chapter 10 is a, is a, is a picture of a free country versus a communism country? It is. I'll give it to you real quick. Here's philosophies of life. First guy's come by. Ah, there's somebody with something. Kill him. Beat him up. Take it. Oh, there's somebody with something. Tax him. Stop him. Drop him. Take it. Next guy comes. Next uh, people come. <laughs> well, who's the next one? The other, by, other people come by. The, the first guy is what? The first guy says this. What's yours is mine, and I'll take it by force if I have to. Next guy comes by and says, what's mine is mine, and even though you need help, I'm still mine. Next guy comes by, watch this. The good Samaritan comes by and says, what's mine is mine, but because I love God, if you need some part of it, I'll help you with it. The third one is Christianity. The first one is communism. The middle one is an attitude in between that I'm going to keep what I've got, and I ain't going to share it with nobody. And what that'll bring is the trouble with them, because the first bunch... Anyway, got to get the host with it. So what is, the, what is the summary of communism? Communism is a satanic substitute to deal with the perceived inequities of society. Because let me tell you something. You're not in heaven yet, and Jesus isn't ruling right now. And there are people... The Bible's very clear. Zachary mentioned this morning about... about uh, uh, employees, employees. And the Bible's very clear. The Bible's tough on employers. You know what employers do? That's why you want to preach the gospel and convert people to Christianity. You get an employer that's saved and knows Jesus Christ, he wants to treat his employers good and right. Because he knows he's going to face God how he treats them. And he doesn't cheat him. Read James chapter 2. What God talks about his wrath coming upon an employer, how he treats his employees. But, let me tell you, I'll just blow this one out. Here we Remember the parable Jesus told? About the guy who went and hired some guys a week and said, I'll give you a penny for the day's labor. Got up there in the morning, went there in town, got He went back about noon, got a guy and said, I'll give you a penny. Went back just before quitting time, got enough some more guys to finish the job out. Got done with the day's work, and they all lined up for their pay, and the guy gives them all a penny. And the first guys got mad. We labored all day. And you give these guys that just worked the last part the same as we did? Read it. And then go argue with Jesus Christ. He talked about that single eye. He said, you're calling me evil. I give you what you agreed to for. And it wasn't a cheat. There's a side of that that a lot of people don't understand. That there were people back there who was ready to work, but he couldn't. He didn't hire them all. They were willing to work. And that's part of the reason he went ahead and gave them. Why? Because those men needed to feed their families the same as the guys who had had the job all day long. It wasn't that they were lazy, that they weren't hired. 
And until we get back to the biblical principles of employer and employee, let me say something to you. If you're an employer and you're sitting around squeezing your employees' people, and you're making it hard on their lives, when you, when you, and you're just trying to, it's all about you, and you don't give a flip about their marriage and their home and their family and their kids, you've got big trouble headed for your judgment. But communism takes advantage of disproportionate inequities perceived in people's minds about that. What's the result? Well, there have been 100 million people killed at the hands of communists worldwide. Loss of freedom, loss of faith, loss of their family, loss of creativity, loss of design, loss of motivation, loss of initiative, and loss of purpose. And by the way, super widespread poverty. I get so amazed. They'll send a lot of these liberal women over to Russia for about three weeks. In Kaluga, Russia, 300,000 people. You know how you get your milk, ladies? In that wonderful socialistic society that Barack thinks is really great? In that redistribution wealth country? You know what they do? You're standing over there a block and a half, three blocks long line with your little jug. Moving up two steps. Moving up two steps. And when you get there, you know what it is? It's, it, it's worse than my wood cart. It's a wheel deal right there with a plastic 300-gallon deal on it with a spigot here. The old boy brought in from town in front of his tractor. And you stick your jug underneath there and fill your jug up. You pay him and you walk back to your house. I saw a bread line. This is in the 300,000 Kaluga, south of Moscow. Bread line, two and a half blocks long. Women waiting in line for bread. And we want socialism? You walk down to the big supermarket in Kaluga. You walk inside there and walk to the meat counter. You think the whole, you think every cow in the country did. They ain't no nothing there. There's a few old sorry looking pieces of cuts of meat. If you ain't there at dark 30 in the morning lined up ready to get in there, you ain't going to get nothing but the junk left over. And empty shelves, you walk up there to get peas, beans, corn, whatever it is, you walk up there, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing there. One brand sitting on the shelf and four foot of empty space. And we want socialism. We want redistribution of wealth. We want to be taken off our farms. We want everything nationalized and socialized. We have lost our ever-living mind. And by the way, we're throwing the blood of our fathers away who died in World War One and World War Two. The blood is junk. I cannot believe it. Men who died to keep us from out beneath that junk. Miles! Tombstones. Listen, I know this ain't your feel-good, happy Christianity. We'll get to that tonight. Because that's that, that's that third one. Religious liberalism. You're supposed to feel good when you leave the church about how sweet and wonderful you are. I didn't get uplifted. I got beat on. I'm going to tell you something. You, you may not like me, but I'm going to tell you what. You've got to like the truth. Or you're in trouble with God. And I'm going to tell you something. This old book will give you the best life in the world. I'm going to tell you something. I'm happy as if I had good sense. Amen? Now listen, this book will make you free inside. The truth will make you free. In their hatred and their blindness to biblical concepts of free enterprise, capitalism, profit, they've prayed and do prey upon the jealous and envy of depraved men. If you've never read the account of when Ronald Reagan was head of the uh, screen, uh, 
Guild Actors Guild, you ought to read it. When the communists, oh, they finally got it, but when they tried to take over the movies back there in the 50s, you know what they'd do? You cross that picket line, they'd throw ass in your face. Hmm. They'd threaten to bust your knuckles up. Break your neck, break your arms, you cross picket line. Sounds like freedom, don't it, Kenny? That's freedom. Force and intimidation. Workers unite! You know what it was all about? It wasn't about more pay. It was about control of the movie industry. Because Lenin told him, he said, of all the media there is that controls the minds of men on the surface of the earth right now, the media is the most powerful, and we want it. This will be of interest to you. In East Germany in 1989, when they deposed their communist dictator that they'd had since World War II, when the Berlin Wall was built, the dictator's name was Erich Honecker. Erich Honecker was a wonderful communist leader. All those poor Eastern European people, he wouldn't even let them go see their cousins and their aunts and uncles and mothers and fathers and grandpas on the other side of the wall on penalty of being shot in cold blood murder. And Hanukkah preached in East Germany that we must all suffer and sacrifice for the cause of Mother Russia and communism. And that means that you're all going to live in these squalid, small little apartments, you know, and you're going to subsume on cold soup because there'll be some times when we don't have enough fuel to heat your evening meal with. Now, but, but suffer with us and we shall conquer in the end. One problem with that, whenever they overthrew him, you know what they found out? He had 32 mansions. 32 mansions. That's just like a communist. Old Jeremiah writes up there in Chicago talking about God in America and all that stuff, you know. He's sitting up there living in a million half dollar plus house in a gated community. And he's living, you know what he's doing? He's made his stinking, filthy, stealing living off the poor black people in that city manipulating their irritations and anger and stirring up bitterness and hatred in them and giving money to him so he can live in a million-some-dollar home in a gated community, that's classic communism for you. Well, let me get, oh, no, that wasn't all Eric did. He not only had 32 mansions, he imported 100 tons of grain each year for the stags in the special forest he reserved off for he and his buddies to hunt on. Yes, sir. I always say, what you know, if you think you like socialism, why don't you just go live in one ten years? Come back and tell us how good it was. Romania, where the missionary we support is from, I don't advocate this, but they executed their communist leader on Christmas Day of 1989. He had a palace larger than the Palace of Versailles. It, the splendor of it, they said, would stagger the imagination. And the rest of the country living in nothing. And I say to you this morning, there's a party and there's people now running and voting in this country for a communist socialist. Mr. Davis in California was one of his mentors. He's, he openly admits that. Member of the Communist Party.
His father was an avowed Marxist. I have read his father's thesis. His father did not believe in private ownership of land or industry. And he wrote a book about his father. We're going to dismiss. We're going to have to do five of them tonight. You say, Reggie, I don't like your attitude. Yeah, the devil don't either. The devil don't either. I'm just, I'm just saying this to you. I've got a little grandson sitting back here on my son's lap. I've got a little granddaughter that's due to be born in a few days. I've got another, no, no, granddaughter born in February and another grandson. You know what I'm going to do? They are not going to look back and say, Grandpa, why didn't you stand when you could have? Amen, amen. I want to tell you something. I'm just as happy. Oh, I'm happy because Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And I'm telling you what, listen, and don't be all down about this. I don't, listen, I love everybody. I love everybody. I don't love what everybody does. I don't love what everybody stands for. All right? Now, what's going to be good about tonight is we're going to say, what do we do then about all this stuff? See, it's one thing. We can sit up here and say, we need to bail the cat. That cat's going to kill all of us. <laughs> How you bail the cat? We're going to talk about bailing the cat tonight. We're going to talk about bailing the cat. What do we do? Boy, I'm going to tell you what's exciting is that God has given us the capability and the power in which to counter all these lies that Satan's putting. And we can do it. I don't tell you what, we ought to get at it until Jesus comes and make it our life purpose to do it. And I want to encourage you in the Lord. Now, now listen. I said this. Uh, let, me, let me balance things out a little bit. I like Van said this morning, or not Van, but Zachary. I think John McCain's wife owns a big brewery, doesn't she? Liquor crowd. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't support John McCain in the primary. I'm going to kind of hold my nose while I vote for him. Now, he's, he's very pro-life. Guarantee one thing, he don't back up on that. And I'll tell you something else. Man spent five years in prison for our country and not come out of there when he could have come out of there. I've got to respect that. It, but it's the underlying principles of philosophy of life. That's what it is. I'm sure Barack Obama's a nice guy, very articulate. You know, I'm, I'm, you know. and, uh, and I'll tell you what, another thing is, I think it's you know, amazing how someone who's born like that, but I don't know how he got all his money and how they did all he done. What I'm saying is, you listen to me, Jesus Christ died for him just like he died for you. This is not about individual personality people. It's about belief systems. And what the church needs to do is take right ground and counter these lies and raise up young people that know what they believe and why they believe it. I'll tell you what, this stuff ought to be taught in our schools, and our kids ought to know what these issues are, and then know how to confront them with the Word of God. I mean, a lot of kids walk into a classroom, they just get hit, and they're like, man, I never heard that before. I mean, oh, you know. And, man, I'll, it ought to be an exciting thing. we got to go. What time is it? 12.30, 4 o'clock, 1 o'clock? Is it 1 o'clock? I can't believe I did. Let's all stand. Standing is the least the first hope of getting out. Amen. The views expressed on this program are those of the guests and not necessarily the views of management and staff of OBS Radio, OBS International, and Greater Works Business Services. Guests who appear on this podcast are not required to pay a fee and is made possible by RadioGuestList.com. For more information, 
please visit our website at www.obsintl.cf. Follow OBS on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash broadcast section. If you want to contribute financially to help us continue broadcasting, please go to paypal.me.obsintl. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time. This is OBS Radio, a service of OBS International, a division of Greater Works Business Services.